This programme has been grant-aided by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision Scheme. Hello and you're very welcome to this, the fourth and final episode in Posh, Port Out, Starboard Home, a four-part radio documentary on Dublin's port and docklands, the area and its people. Posh is presented by Jerry Ledden for Near FM. You will also hear additional reporting and presentation by Alan Weldon. In this, the final episode, we look at some social issues in the Docklands area and we also look at water safety, especially for small pleasure craft being used in the Docklands and the Dublin Bay area. My name is Teresa Weaver. I'm the manager of the Ringsend and District Response to Drugs. Um, we're based in the Spellman Centre on Irish Town Road, Ringsend. Uh, we provide a wide range of activities and services, um, ranging from family support, addiction support, one-to-one counselling, group work, um, education prevention. We have a day programme for people that uh, are stabilised at the moment on methadone and we provide a drop-in centre for people um, coming in homeless. Uh, there's wash facilities and there's also access to key workers here and care plans. Um, we Every year we provide a graduation service that would recognise those people that have reached drug-free and we celebrate that with the community, so it's an open-door event. Um, we normally would have it either in the Clan of Gale, but most recently uh, it took place in the Mansion House and the Lord Mayor acknowledged the work of the drug service along with Dublin Port Company. So um, it was a great opportunity for the, the community to engage at that level with us. Um, yeah, we're very much obviously uh, interested in providing services to the community because we're a community-based programme and we have this whole ethos of making sure there's no barriers up to the community that people integrate easily and the only way you can do that is that you have a sense of belonging and you're right in the heart of it and people are all involved. Tell us how prevalent is drug use in the area itself? Well it's it's very prevalent um, particularly amongst the young people and if you were to ask me probably the emergent trends because it's different it's quite difficult I suppose to engage at statistic levels particularly people um, engaging with poly drug use in the services because we have a lot of people that would come with cocaine um, cannabis or taking tablets and if obviously for example if you're using cocaine you wouldn't go to a treatment clinic um, for, for withdrawals because methadone wouldn't be used. It's normally used for heroin. So they're not gathered. Those statistics are a bit lost. Um, we're dealing, I suppose, for us, the emerging trends would be polydrug use. That means a young person or somebody that would be using more than one drug. So they're using cannabis, alcohol, um, benzos is a big one, tablets, um, and cocaine. There is, amongst the older ones, it would be, it's more prevalent, I suppose, heroin use would be more prevalent amongst the older group. And that would range from, I think the, the oldest was, we had 48 years of age, and the, at the moment, 23, 24. So we're talking, in age group coming here, we've had 16, 17 upwards, but the younger ones were coming with the poly drug use. So that's, it's quite pre- prevalent in the area. It's interesting if you looked at our groups as well, because we had to separate the groups. We had a range from 16, 17 up to, uh, the oldest I had was 52, and that would be an alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but anyone using obviously opiates heroin based was 48 um, the would an average age between 23 and 34 well, I suppose our mission statement is to work with the young pair, person and the family in their aim and their struggle against drugs um, to obviously come drug-free or to live some sort of a quality lifestyle. Um, our aim is to work with the community to try and challenge and um, tackle the drugs issue in a very kind of holistic way. So it's around, I mean, I remember when we were first coming in here, we didn't parachute the service into the middle of the area. We engaged with people around education and awareness and we got groups to come up with the aims and objectives of a drug service in their community. So it was they've changed slightly in terms of because of the emerging trends. Now we work obviously with the family as a whole as we used to work with just the individual but we found those that maintain their drug-free status and do quite well is when they have the family support element. So there's a wide range of aims and missions but Fundamentally, it's around working with people to tra- tackle the drugs issue. We open six days a week, um, but on Saturdays, it's by appointment. Sometimes I might go on Sunday, and that depends. We've, we've worked with people with dual diagnosis with mental issues as well, and they find it very difficult coming in with a lot of people. So we might open, say, Saturday or Sunday just to accommodate that. Um, we open from nine to five on the day program, whereas we have a morning program. That's the harm reduction program. And then the afternoon programme is the drug-free. They're the people that's moving from the harm reduction to the drug-free. Um, then we have the family support element that opens in the evening, on a Tuesday evening. And on Monday and Wednesday and Thursday, there is NA, AA and addict support. So it's opened six days a week and three or four evenings. And again, like we will open to, to meet whatever the care plan needs. If somebody needs to be here at 5 to 6 or 7 to 8 because they're working during the day, key workers will accommodate that. The aftercare is essential um, because I've, I've, we used the analogy at one stage of anybody, like, I mean, if your car breaks down, you'll go to the garage. Just maintenance is really important. So likewise, it's very important in terms of your recovery. Um, we provide the aftercare groups, the support groups in the evening. Particularly, we have um, encouraged people to go either back to school uh, or on to third level education or into the workforce. So in order to do that, we walk along with them by providing the one-to-one counselling in the evening for them and providing support groups in the evening. And they also, we encourage AA and NA as well outside of the service. So um, yeah, no aftercare would be big part of their recovery programme. I think what the port has created in some way, I mean, they've introduced different things around the area, like their art pieces, the anchor and different. So it's more of an attraction for tourists and it almost becomes like self-monitoring. So more people, local people are using it. It's not as easy to freely use in the open um, the way it used to be. Um, in saying that, I suppose there are, I mean, we have people in the flat complexes we have people in the housing state all around the area and yet they're, they're using there but uh, certainly I think the more that's created around the docks it's difficult to do it openly the way they used to. Okay, Dublin Port Company um, to be honest it'd be fair to say that they're definitely in partnership in terms of trying to tackle the drugs issue. They would have been engaged from an early stage in 1995 uh, they worked in partnership with us in trying to tackle the drugs issue um, they provided supports, resources, funding um, around prevention education, uh, support programmes, rehabilitation programmes. Um, definitely, it's certain 
certain programmes and certain activities that they fund would not be funded by the HSC or the task force. Um, so, you know, we'd only get staff salaries. We wouldn't get any extras. They also provided funding for a house for us in Wexford. Um, it's their crisis intervention house. That's been used quite a lot. Um, a lot of groups go down. We've also had uh, people going down that for respite. Um, people that might have been facing intimidation in the area um, went down and had access to key workers and supports. So they've they've really gone beyond the call of duty in terms of stepping up to the mark and supporting us around the recovery program. What we what we would do is we bring people like they could be self-referred and um, they could be referred from the probation, from the doctors, from clinics. Um, like there's a wide range of referral uh, process. So when they come in the door, they come in the door and they would meet the reception first. And the receptionist would ask them have they got an appointment. If they don't, there's a drop-in service. And a key worker would always meet somebody coming in the door. Um, if it's a crisis intervention, something's needed there and then, uh, the key worker would do a crisis intervention. If it's uh, seeking information around going on the programme, we would have a support worker that would sit with them and outline what kind of services is here in the pro- in the project for them. Um, there could be someone homeless coming in, and um, so we would provide a hot meal for them. So they need kind of instant stuff. Um, the community is very good in terms of they've delivered some uh, secondhand clothes. They drop them into them, um, so they'd have access to clothes. They have access to wash facilities upstairs, uh, shower, washing machine, dryer, uh, a kitchen. So there's a wide range of services, and plus they would have access to counselling services. Um, the big one at the moment that people have been accessing, and this is for a wide range actually of people, even the family support element, is the holistics. People are starting to come in quite stressed. Um, looking for stress management so we provide acupuncture it's quite good for withdrawals and cocaine but it's also proven quite good for stress management and sleep patterns um, we deliver that all the staff is trained in acupuncture um, we would deliver Reiki so I think I've three that's trained as Reiki masters and people absolutely love it uh, the numbers are increasing unbelievably that kind of stuff wouldn't get funded by the H- uh, HSC yeah. that's where the porters come in so they recognise that kind of complementary services mm. um, for the target group. That's worked unbelievably because we've tracked certain people that has received, say, acupuncture and stress management and people that haven't. And the ones that have used that have come out really, really well. They've been able to maintain their drug-free status. So it's been an interesting piece of evidence just to gather. Um, there's other stuff that they do. Like, I mean, there's a wide range of things that they can access a buddy system. If someone's really kind of struggling, we've had women coming in with uh, alcohol issues and um, say tablet taking is big, antidepressants. So they'd, they'd come in probably self-medicated and feeling very lonely and vulnerable. So we provide a buddy system because we've two women key workers here on the programme. So they would tap into who's doing really well after maybe two years and we provide that buddy. You know, so there's a wide range kind of services that would meet the target group. We introduced it probably about eight years ago. Um, and I would find now in the last I'd say in the last five or six years even more and it's funny even with times changing you know um, I, I suppose the economic like I mean we're talking serious issues around money with people I found stress management has been a big big factor um, 
in helping people through very difficult times. I mean, we've had people that can't pay their mortgages. We've had people that have come in here with serious anxiety um, and panic attacks and self-medicating themselves, like turning to the bottle just for comfort and realising, okay, I did that voluntary, but now I have a compulsion to do it. So that the holistics have been huge for us in terms of that. They've really met uh, people's needs in terms of stress management. And I'd say probably in the last five years, I've, I've realised how important they were. And of course, our thanks there to Teresa Weaver of the Ringsend District Response to Drugs. Betty Ash is with St Andrews Resource Centre. And here Betty outlines the work that this initiative is involved in within the Docklands area. Uh, I'm Betty Ash and uh, my role now, although I'm retired as manager of the job centre after 20 years plus, I now am external liaison coordinator and my role is to connect up the agencies who operate in our area, who have either resources or power or whatever that um, can help us to continue to deliver uh, our uh, our services and to reach our objective of a one-step shop. Uh, well, of course, some of the services are necessary services. This uh, uh, social welf- uh, welfare and information is, uh, is an enormous help to people. Say they're taking a job, they can find out how their benefits will change, what they lose, what they gain, what balance. That's one thing. And then... There's also the service, the information service. If, say, somebody's widowed or a widower, um, they can come in here and get help, getting all that uh, bureaucracy sorted, forms and all that. So that's a very valuable service based on need when you need it. And then, I mean, the job centre speaks for itself. Uh, It helps the um, local people access work. And uh, um, so that, that increases the income the morale, the morale and the income of the area uh, through people getting employed. And it also has another effect into intergenerational stuff. There's more emphasis now on staying in school and uh, um, looking towards the higher-end jobs. So then, again, that's very important, but has a number of roles. And then, um, of course, the youth service is, is very important because it bring, it's bringing kids up into an environment of... Um, how would I put it, like an environment where you belong, you're familiar, you're cherished, you're given values and uh, you're part of a family. And then you, you as you grow, uh, I mean, we have one girl who is a, a, a leader now in youth. She also has a, she's in college, but she, she's a leader, senior leader. She started in the childcare so does that growing in with the services and accessing the services and being known and that familiarity of feeling a part of something, belonging, um, then, I mean, uh, then the childcare would be very much the same, like, but uh, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an involving thing for the individuals who get involved. And then like the, the training, uh, the IT training centre can, can be for anybody, it can be for staff or it can be for people wanting the train. We have our own trainer and you can buy the training and so on. And then the cyber cafe is open to the public um, and you'll see them out there using it. Um, 
So all of that tends to um, give a whole round picture of what your needs are. Tell us what your needs are, and if the need doesn't ex- if the respond if there isn't a service to respond to your needs, but well, we look at. I mean, the adult education speaks for itself. When we when we when that was set up first, um, we were involved with um, setting up the top program in Trinity for the adults, and we had a number of adults now in the forties um, who came in and did the adult ed. Uh, two 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 uh, subjects in the leaving cert and could access the top program, and went down into the mainstream degree courses. So we have teachers and lecturers and social workers who did that second chance, and then it filtered down to the leaving cert students. So uh, this organisation was instrumental in that happening, and the fact that the Trinity students do the grinds, or as they're called, voluntary tuition now. Um, so that's all part that's been going on for the 43 years leading up to uh, evolving as uh, using that word Have you enjoyed working here so far over your 40 years? Well it's been my whole life I, I didn't have a, anything outside of uh, everything involves um, what goes on here and uh, I, I shouldn't say I don't have a life because I do have a life but uh, it was always wrapped up around here um, whether it was the schools or, or, or being a youth leader uh, or whatever, campaigns for to keep CBS open, campaign to, for the brothers to take over the Mercy when they were pulling out, always campaigning. Um, and as my own kids were growing, I was moving up the ladder of the services to where I am now, jack of all trades, you know, so... Excellent. And just um, over that time, again, we touched on it earlier, just over that time, have you seen the port itself change itself in terms of the use of the port um, and, you know, general interaction with the port people? It could be as much as the, the amount of traffic, the businesses that's going on down there compared, you know, how has the, the area changed as a result? I, I don't know too much about that, but I know with the current um, chief exec, Eamon O'Reilly, he's very open to... Uh, filling in that gap between the port and the city and we've said to him like the business forum can play a role in that and as I say Tim Darmody's down there doing his bit and you know so we sort of complement one another and the latest project we had was the diving bell the restoration of the diving bell well of course the diving bell was given by Dublin Port the former uh, chief exec uh, to the Nautical Trust, of which I'm a member also. <laughs> and um, uh, sure, the Nautical Trust was a voluntary organisation promoting enterprise down on the, the um, basin. And so we never would have had the money to do anything with it. And it was sitting on the quay down there, the Rogerson's quay. And um, so FOSC approached us before the millennium, about two years before the millennium, and asked us, would we do a project with them for the millennium? So we had a bit of a brainstorming session, Jonathan Simons, Jim Hargis and myself. And they said, what could we do now? What, what, what could we do as a, a sort of a good project for the millennium? And Jim said, we could restore the diving bell. So we, what we did, we did up this paper proposal 
and I think we called it a scoping paper just to be posh you know it's big business language and we asked for a meeting again being on the inside with Doc Lance was huge being on the council so we got Enda Canella and the chief exec of the port Peter Coyne who's the chief exec of Doc Lance um, um, Michael McNamara who was the, the manager of the Nautical Trust long since deceased and um, Foss the manager of Foss Martin Kelly and so we gave them the paper and they read it and, and Enda was sitting facing me and I said well Enda what do you think he said I think it's doable I said it's doable we're doing it put your money where your mouth is now so they rolled in with the money we restored the bell and we had to put a new tube on it because that was rotten the rest is heavy metal so um, but the tube was kind of rotten and um, we had all that done huge job now it was and of course the, the um, construction was just still going on on the south keys and we said now we leave it we won't put the final coat paint on it or the um, storyboards or the lights until the construction's finished and then of course we'd have a panel of people we could call on for money uh, once they were in situ and uh, with that then the crash came so it had to be put on hold. So Eamon O'Reilly came up with the idea of finishing it off. And the design by, by Sean O'Leary is fantastic. So we were involved in it all along the way and for approval. And that was opened last uh, August. No, it was July. July it was opened. And uh, it's fantastic. You know, so it, uh, as you go along, as you think of it, things crop up of where you're connected with the port and how, how important the port is. I don't know much about the work of the port or uh, I don't know much about tonnage or anything like that. I'd have to read on that. <laughs> but that's all available anyway. But the fact that they have this master plan, which they will implement over the next five, ten years or wherever, can only be good. Uh, John Leach is my name. I'm Chief Executive Officer of Irish Water Safety. Before that, I was a, a naval officer. I spent 21 and a half years in the with the Irish Navy, and uh, I would have um, uh, was also a naval diver. So I did a lot of diving, and it's one of the reasons that sort of led me into this job in many ways. Could you um, explain to me some of the uh, problem areas that you see when it comes to Dublin Port in terms of people not taking the right safety precautions? Um, I think the probably the the most basic one I think uh, and and has caused drownings in Dublin Port over the years is obviously people not wearing the life jacket. That is the most crucial crucial um, action that anybody can take to save their lives. And you need not necessarily be in a boat to be uh, wearing a life jacket. People who are like the dock workers who work up and down the on the dock sides there, they all wear life jackets nowadays. Whilst of course years ago they didn't. So the whole situation in regards to wearing life jackets is improving. But we still need more and more compliance with more and more people wearing them. So everybody uh, who goes out, be it rowing, be it sailing, you know, be it going out for a, to a dive site out in Dublin Bay. Uh, obviously, it's it's our, our our busiest port and our main port. So it's a very busy place and people do need to be very uh, cognizant of, of their own personal safety. And of course, the safety of the people that they bring out in their boats. I think the, what people also need to be cognizant of is that it is a, a very busy, you know, commercial port. And 
so there's a lot of shipping moving in and out the whole time. And in fact, some of the uh, tragedies I can recollect going back over the years were as a result, maybe at night, people not concentrating and not actually seeing a ship come in because some of these big ferries and ships are so big. And if you're in a small boat at night, very, very hard to actually see them. And there's so much noise around the port where all the other ships, generators running and engines running. It can be quite, um, uh, you know, um, very, very easy just to, to have, have a head-on collision with one of the large ships. And as you know, we have had that happen in the past, leading to awful tragedy. Uh, Dublin port is very, very busy and really you've got to be very switched on, very aware of what's happening about you. And to that end, too, most people who are spending a lot of time in the port should be listening to the VHF radio of Dublin Port because then you can hear the um, uh, the, the people in Dublin Port telling you about all the ships that are arriving in, ships that are about to leave and what berths are going to leave from something. So, so then you can be actually watching what's happening ar- uh, around. Um, not so many, I suppose, fishing vessels uh, operate in Dublin Port anymore. You know, they, they've all, most and virtually all have moved out to Hoth now. One of the busiest um, harbours, you know, really in in, in the country uh, in, uh, in terms of small leisure craft would be Hoth. And obviously Dublin Port, you've got the Pool Bay Yacht Club and you've got all the, uh, the rowing um, cutters that, that they race in and uh, you've got the sailing boats going in and out dive charters, anglers uh, there's just so much wonderful activity going on with a third of our population based in Dublin all these people want to get out when the weather is anyway nice at all and enjoy the wonderful facilities we have like we're very lucky to be in a, a capital city and just have these wonderful facilities just on our doorstep and so it's really uh, the, the whole safety um, issue is really is, is bringing safety into everything you do and I think uh, unfortunately some people maybe at times they get a great idea into the head that oh I'd like to learn how to sail or canoe and some of them try and teach themselves which is not advisable you really do need to get some formal training uh, particularly operating uh, you know well I mean, no matter where you're operating but particularly Dublin because it is you know it's a, such a busy place a busy port Dublin Bay Coast Guard give out so much useful information like weather forecasts and what shipping uh, you know could, could be a, 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 could be a hazard to you um, in, in your passage during the day so there's a lot going on out there and the more training you get the safer you'll be I mean, education, as we all know, is what will save lives in no matter what aspect of safety, but particularly marine and water safety. Um, For uh, young children, we want them, of course, to learn to swim. uh, And they can learn with um, clicking on iws.ie and and go and do a, a swimming course, learn how to swim. Excellent. Listen, thank you very much for joining us, John. Great. And thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure being on air with you. And that brings us to the end of episode four of Posh, Port Out, Starboard Home. And in fact, it brings us to the end of this four-part radio documentary on the Dublin Docklands, the area and its people. My thanks to all who contributed to, to the making of this series. Posh was supported by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision Scheme.